Hello, and welcome back to Hayden's Entertainment Hour. It has been a long time. It has literally been like almost a whole month since I've done a podcast because really nobody has reached out to talk about anything. I know that some movies came out like The New Conjuring or Luca or I believe Fast 9, but honestly, gotta say, nobody reached out to talk about them. Nobody really seemed to care to talk about these movies, but... I knew that Marvel had a brand new movie that was hitting cinemas and also Loki was wrapping up on Disney Plus at the same time. So I sat down, I sat there in my Discord DMs and said to myself, okay, I gotta get ready for the inevitable ping. And of course, the first person to ping me about talking about both of these brand new MCU properties was Charles. Now, Charles has been on the podcast before. He has obviously talked about Marvel stuff with me in the past. He has talked about WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So it only made sense to bring Charles back once again to talk about Loki and Black Widow today. We're going to be starting off today by talking about Black Widow. But Charles, if you would like to introduce yourself to start off the podcast. Yeah, hi. You told me we were going to talk about Space Jam today. Oh, my bad. I forgot. We were going to talk about LeBron's new Space Jam. Well, cut everything I just said. We're going to talk about Space Jam today, ladies and gentlemen. No, just kidding. I could not do Space Jam if <laughs> yeah, I wanted no, to. I, I don't want to do Space Jam either. I don't want to see that movie. I know. But, um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Loki and uh, Black Widow, but we're going to start with Black Widow because uh, it has been a whole year almost since we've seen a Marvel movie in cinemas. Now, I know, Charles, you didn't obviously see it in a cinema like I did, but... Yeah, um, well, you know. Yeah, so it was kind of cool, <laughs> I will admit, getting to go back into an IMAX movie theater and see it with a bunch of people. Um, it's a weird feeling because, like, you walk in there and you're like, okay, I was... I remember that people used to clap and quip around with these movies and stuff, and now they're kind of getting back into it, I will admit... The first, like, hour of this movie, nobody really laughed, but then yeah, the, the second half picked up, and yeah, I was like, okay, so audiences are just kind of adjusting to this a little bit again, the new normal and stuff, and I was like, it's kind of nice, but at the same time, I did think about, like, where I was during COVID, where I could, like, watch a Marvel movie without all the obnoxious people in theaters, but it still felt very nice to be back. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, yeah, I, I, I believe that, that the first act of the movie is, like, a a drag it's pretty yeah. like not boring but like not much happens in it apart from the first action scene and then the the weird opening credits with smells like teen spirit oh yeah smells like teen spirit that's right <laughs> I, i'm like uh, when, when i when that happened i was like what the fuck? Did, did, did Zack snyder directed this movie because i i haven't heard a weirder uh, needle drop scenes, uh, you know, Justice League. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, starting off with uh, Black Widow today, which is our first entry on the podcast. Um, the plot of this movie is that Natasha is on the run. Obviously, this takes place after Civil War, and she has violated the Sokovia Accords. So people are hunting her down, and she has to go and try to find people that she can trust. She don't. Uh, she bumps into her sister Yelena that is running from the Red Room because she has a secret, almost vaccine-type thing that can stop the women in the Red, uh, red Room from being tortured and brainwashed. And they have to find their way to the Red Room to stop Draco from turning more women into Black Widows. So Black Widow, um, first Marvel movie back in theaters. I guess I'll, yeah, I'll just get this off my chest right now. I think this is okay i'll just say i mean i get why some people might like it more than me i can see why some people may hate it i honestly was so down the middle on this 
I didn't really think I was gonna watch it again after I saw it in theaters, and I really don't have any plans to see it again after watching it in theaters, but I didn't hate it, I didn't love it, I thought it was a passable time, it was worth my money at least a little bit, but Charles, what were your thoughts on Black Widow? One of the reasons why I I think that I sent you that message was because I saw your letterbox score and we had the same score. Yeah, I, I like, noticed oh. that. <laughs> oh yeah, like oh, that's that's interesting. Hmm. And and even though we have the same score, we have different perspectives on the movie. Because in my way, I I enjoyed parts of it, but I wouldn't say I had a good time watching it. Okay. Um... <laughs> like I wouldn't say yeah. What I'd say it's it's a possible movie. Like you can enjoy it. But that's uh, the most I can say about the movie. I can also understand why people would like the movie. I I I really don't like some people hate the movie like hard hard strong feelings like hate love. I don't get it, but like or dislike, yeah, maybe I can get those better. Yeah. Um so I guess I'll get this off my chest now because uh I feel like this might be a point of discussion anywhere. Um It was very hard for me to get invested in the stakes of this movie. Now, let me kind of explain why. Because obviously we know Black Widow is dead after Endgame, correct? And we know yeah, we know that her character is gone from the MCU. This will be the last time we see her. Now we know that Black Widow will not die in this movie, obviously. We know that most of the stakes that happen are in a basically off-screen adventure that they're showing us right now. We know that her family mostly gets away safe because it's alluded that Florence Pugh has signed on to a multi-contract deal with Marvel. So I was kind of sitting here watching this going, it's very hard for me to get invested in this adventure when this character is dead now and her adventure is basically over in my mind. Like Black Widow should have had this movie come out years ago. Like this felt like it would have been a good movie to drop after Civil War, but I feel like Marvel and Feige did not trust a female-led action movie to make a lot of money. Then Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel go out and make a boatload of cash and they're like, oh yeah, we should have cashed in on this when we had the chance. And now it just kind of feels like they're a little too late to the party with this. I don't know if you feel any different on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think the whole female superhero, like, I don't think that's the problem. The problem is that the story is pretty underwhelming overall. Yeah, I'll agree uh, with that too. The way it develops. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe it also comes like a few years too late, maybe because, because uh, like when, when, at certain point in phase three, like you could sense that the Marvel movies were like leading up every single one to to Infinity War and Endgame, and so so maybe you could say they could have fa- they could have found a possible date for a Black Widow movie, but they never bothered with it. Maybe and yeah, and, and, like they 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 saw like oh well, Scarlet still has like one movie in her contract. What if we do a Black Widow movie and you know she can do whatever she wants? <laughs> She's dead. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so like I said, the the story of this movie pretty much revolves around uh, Black Widow and her family teaming up to take down Draco and the Red Room. Um, well, but the first, yeah, I mean, there's other stuff in it too. You know, I mean, I mean, more than her family, it's mostly Yelena. Than, yeah, Yelena yeah, because, especially. Yeah. Because like halfway through the movie, they start recollecting the other members, and then <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but anyways, like I said earlier, the first hour of this movie was kind of hard for me to get into at first because um, it's all it's all very slow, kind of setting up the movie a little bit. Like, I believe I was listening to Chris Stuckman talk about this movie when he reviewed it, saying the plot doesn't really begin till 40 minutes in. And I did feel that. I, I did feel the plot did not really kick up into pace until about 40 minutes in. And then we knew what the movie was going to be about because it just kind of starts off with Natasha on the run. She's trying to figure out where she can go, where she'll be safest. Then she runs into Taskmaster and then she gets this note from her sister and goes and checks in on her after she's been debrainwashed. And then the two of them go off looking for Alexi, and then the two of them obviously start the plan of okay, we need to find the red room. And it yeah, felt it's a like lot of setup. yeah, it's a lot of setup, and it feels like well, maybe a much little... about nothing, much that was nothing really. Yeah, but it feels like too much of a setup in the first act, and that the payoff kind of came a little bit too late for some of it. But um, I feel like one thing that kind of bugged me a little bit the most about the beginning is that. Again, we have the stake of like she's on the run from everybody in Civil War and she constantly needs to hide and stuff, but I don't feel that tension. I don't really feel no, like. There's no, there's no tension about that. Yeah, she I don't like, feel on the edge of my seat. Once and and she's, she just has to go to get gas for the um for the generator and that's it. That's and then, yeah. That and then the movie gets in the middle of that. So yeah, that, pretty much. That gets lost and it's just. It becomes a plot point by the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, like a, a reason why she got captured, basically. And Yeah. yeah um, so to talk about Natasha a little bit in this movie, because she is the title character in a way. <laughs> oh, God. Um, it kind of feels like she gets relegated to side character a little bit in this movie. And I what I mean by that, that is... Well, let me kind of explain this a little bit. Yeah, go on. Okay, go on. so Natasha essentially in the movie, right, is supposed to be our lead, and she is supposed to be the one, like, kind of leading charge, going to look for Draco and stuff, trying to answer all the questions and do all the right things, but I felt like a majority of the movie, she was just going around asking questions, and then different members of her family would, like, pull her in the direction of answers. So like, she goes and asks Yelena a bunch of questions about the Red Room. Yelena leads her to Alexi. They get Alexi. She starts asking a bunch of questions to him. Alexi leads her to, uh, how the actress's name? Melina? Rachel, uh, no, Rachel. No, but I think the name of the character was like Melina or something. I can check that out. Yeah, I think Melina, uh, to Rachel Wise. And then Rachel Wise obviously is there and she starts talking about the Red Room and where it is. And then is like, oh, I've contacted the Red Room. They're coming for us. And then Natasha is conveniently taken to Draco, and then Draco answers all the questions that she has, and she uses that to her advantage to stop the Red Room and Draco, and then the movie essentially ends with her kind of right where we expected her to be going off and trying to get the Avengers back together. So, it felt like a lot of Black Widow's character in this movie was just asking questions, getting drug in a direction for an answer, and she never really felt like she had her own like powerful moment in the movie besides when she confronts Draco at the end. A, a, a passive character throughout the whole movie until the final act. Pretty that's much. When, like like that's when she finally does something because even her motivation is she gets it from Jelena. <laughs> yeah. Like the the reason why she gets like like I said like she's running away from the government and the only reason why she gets in this movie is because the movie gets in the middle of her way. Yeah, 
Um, but I will admit, the character that I actually did like the most compared to Black Widow, which maybe she should have been the title character, was uh, Yelena. I mean, she um, is, she's Black Widow, too. <laughs> yeah, um, Florence Pugh is probably the standout of this movie. Very, very good. Um, I, I don't know if a lot of non-movie people will really know her because uh, she's done stuff like Midsommar and Little Women and stuff like that. It's weird, like she was also nominated for an Oscar, like... I know, year, yeah, two ago. years ago. Um, but she's kind of new to the whole acting scene for most general audiences and stuff, but she's very good in this movie. I feel like the one thing I really enjoyed about her character was the fact that it always kind of felt like she was trying to prove not only something to herself that she could be this uh, badass Black Widow, but at the same time that she could not be held down by these uh, people in her life that tortured her and basically turned her into a slave almost. She was able to break those chains and become her own person, much like Natasha did. And that's oh, good for, Yeah, that's like good progression in a way because she kind of almost goes through a similar arc as Black Widow where she breaks free, becomes her own person, and now will become her own Black Widow in the future because obviously, spoiler alert at the ending, she literally confronts and destroys her demons. Yeah. Like uh, I think you saw more in her than than what I did. Like um, like yeah, I recognize the, the stuff you said, but I saw her character more like the the little sister character, you know? Yeah, that, that kind too. Of character yeah. and, and like, and she played that part perfectly, and even she grew beyond like being the, she she became her own character in that way, mm-hmm. and and then like yeah, I don't know, she kind of like. Then at the end, she's just like, oh, she's there, and, and Natasha is <laughs> going to going to stand there as the main character because she is apparently the movie for yeah. what she is. Yeah. So Elaine is very good in this movie too. Um, I think th- there's a joke with her in the movie where she's talking about how uh, Natasha uh, always does these poses when she lands. Yeah, I, I didn't and... like that. I felt too like, wh- where did you watch that? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, it does How have do a funny know? payoff later when she does the same thing. Yeah, that's that was funny. Um, that, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. So now to get into Red Guardian, David Harbor a little bit. Um, so you've already read the the Letterbox review, so you know my thoughts on him a little bit. Um, yeah. to David Harbor, I was very excited for him to be in this movie. I will admit, I am a pretty big fan of David Harbor and most things that he does, like Stranger Things. Um, and that's it. <laughs> well, he tried Hellboy, but that didn't go very well. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, so David Harbour I was excited for in this movie, especially to portray a character like Red Guardian. And he is the comedic relief, the secondary character of this movie. And all he really is is the stupid comedic relief that kind of just gets punched around and beat up. And you're supposed to laugh at how dumb he is. And I don't know, this kind of felt like a poor man's version of, of uh, Bob, what? Drax does destroy your A little bit, yeah. And it also reminded me a little bit of um, Bob Parr from The Incredibles because oh. he's oh, somebody yeah. that wants to live in the glory days, but at least Bob knows that his own selfishness gets in the way of realizing what he has with family. But it never really, really feels like Red Guardian goes through an arc like that. He's still like narcissistic and selfish most of the way through, which is why I was kind of sitting here going, ah, it feels like they wasted a big opportunity with David Harbour because that's all his development goes down to is super selfish 
dumb and gets beat up a lot and says silly things. And I kind of didn't vibe with that through most of the runtime. Like he did have some funny jokes like the beginning where he's getting a tattoo, but I just felt like his character was relegated to nothing but comedic relief. Yeah. You, you agree with that? No, no, wait, I didn't hear you. You got cut off. I was like, yeah, are you there? <laughs> um, no, uh, it felt like to me his character was just relegated to nothing but comedic relief. I mean, I don't, okay, I do agree with that, but I don't mind it because, you know, in, in, in Marvel movies, in DMC movies, especially like the, the side characters are just like, they, they are there, they serve a purpose, either like a plot or or something for the public. In the in the case of the it's like they are um, they are either comedic characters or, or they are the people who help the main character approach their goal. In the case of Black Widow, I think we have both examples. And A little bit, yeah. And they, they normally don't do much with them unless they get a spin-off movie or TV show later. <laughs> yeah, they get Disney Plus very yeah. fast. <laughs> um, so then we have Rachel Wise's character, Melena, or Melina. I, I know that's you got a hot take with her. Okay, I do have a hot take with her. So yeah. um, many people knew my hot take on WandaVision, I believe, for the final episode with her character and how the show had that moment where what is her name? I'm trying to think she gets superpowers. Monica Rambeau. Yeah. Monica Rambo uh, comes up to her and is like, they'll never know how much you sacrificed. And that irked me. I had a little rant about why I didn't like that, how that was very manipulative. And I felt like that was not a good moral for the show to have with this movie. It's not as bad as that, but let me kind of explain a little bit. So Malena and this is spoiler. We've already kind of said spoilers ahead, but yeah, this we're, is spoilers. Spoiler territory. Like, um, we're talking yeah, about Black so, Widow. Whoever watched that movie has done it already. <laughs> I know. Um, so, Milena is working for the bad guy in the movie. So, she, for seven plus years, as the movie says, has been working, helping brainwash these girls, basically ruin their lives, and turn them into Draco's own little slaves, basically. Yeah, and in it. a way, I don't like that because the movie then tries to justify that Black Widow is okay with this after she reveals it to her. Because basically, what happens is they sit down at the what thing when she said when she says when she says that everyone has such a non-reaction to that. Every single I know. person there is like, are you going to say anything? Yeah, <laughs> no? and hey. yeah, I, it bugs me so much because. For Florence Pugh and Scarlett Johansson, I feel like maybe, well, they obviously didn't get much to say in the writer's room, but I don't know how they didn't really object to this because both Natasha and Yelena are never irked by this. They are just kind of like, oh, okay, well, you did a terrible thing, but at least you're trying to be a better person. But like, they well, you don't... were our mother, we forgive you. <laughs> yeah, well, you're our mother, we forgive you. And it's like, that's my problem with similar to what happened in WandaVision, that all the characters are supposed to essentially forgive her and we're supposed to see it through this lens, but I can't. It's still a terrible thing that she did. And for all the characters to just be fine with it, move on and accept her because she's their mother basically, does not feel realistic in a way. Like if somebody in your life has been lying to you or did a terrible deed, 
it's going to take you a very, very long time to forgive that person, or it's going to take you a bit of time to learn to accept that what they did happened. It's in the past. And if you can't forgive them, or if you can, that's up to you. But this movie, they just brush over that fact so nonchalantly to where the audience and characters are supposed to be fine with what she did. And the characters are, but I feel like people like me in the audience are still kind of left scratching our head because we're like, I don't know about that. But I don't know about your thoughts on Milena. It's the Descartes show paradox. <laughs> a little yeah, bit, like, yeah. Uh, like, well, like, okay, just to give a uh, context, in Fast and Furious 7, Descartes show is trying to kill every single person in the Dom Toretto family, and he already killed Han, and by the 8th movie, they are all working together. It's something like that, but compressed into one single scene in the movie. That that I don't know if that happens a lot, but it has happened a lot with Marvel, like you've said, with WandaVision, like... Yeah. This, but, they, but you shouldn't care that they can forgive you. Uh, something like that, you know? And the case of Rachel Weisz, like... I I got over it fast because I was like, yeah, they're not going to, they're not going to address that. It's, they're just going to continue the story because they they don't have the time to address what what that means in the story because they are not they haven't come together like I knew like sometimes sometimes when you watch a lot of shit <laughs> when you read a lot of shit you you start seeing patterns and especially in certain type of movies in this case when they were having dinner I was like. No, they, they are not going to address the fact that she helped build the chemical that controls widows because they need her to um, no, they need her to come together with them to, to beat the bad guy because it was pretty obvious that it was going to be the bad guy who was going to be evil because you know um, I don't know it, this movie is so transparent that it's like a window you can smash into you would never notice that and i think the movie did that a lot yeah yeah like yeah like i don't i don't want to say that a movie being aware or or to the to like or being too on the nose about its themes is bad but it can be badly developed in the case of like i think that's what happened um, you want to talk about Grow Tiger? Uh, yeah, that that's the section. That's a great transition, man. <laughs> because uh, that's exactly what I wanted to say. Because fucking Ray Winston, the villain, the bad guy is just like he feels okay. like a villain. Okay, do you remember Catwoman the movie with yes. Halle Berry? Yes, yes, I do. Uh, the, the bad guy here reminded me of the bad guy in that movie. That's just uh, such a fucking. Um, stereotype like uh, uh, an awful stereotype. Like I remember, it was in Catwoman. The villain, the the bad guy was Sharon Stone. She wanted she wanted to be young forever, and she was the bad guy because of reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And here, the bad guy is Ray Winston. I don't remember his name in the movie. <laughs> and he was bad because he wanted. Something and that something led him led him to mistreat women because for him women are lesser and basically he's 
the bad guy because he's misogynist. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. It's like his character is so goofy, and it doesn't help that the Russian accent's not great. Yeah, and I know and that like, <laughs> you have I... like you have also uh, like you said Melina, and then you have Red Guardian, who the two of those characters also had had made comments or have or had shown attitudes that that oppose uh women like like this red guardian in the flashback we see in the first scene that I, to my opinion that was the best scene the whole the whole opening was great oh, yeah, escaping yeah yeah Rem remember when they landed in Cuba when I have that was like oh shit <laughs> oh no yeah yeah so when they landed when they landed in Cuba he basically gave Natasha and Yelena over to Dracov mm -hmm. like yeah that happened and then Melina did the same he gave all the widows back to Dracov she gave them complete control but it's like oh no they treated me harshly they never liked like they are given these excuses and meanwhile Dracov is supposed to be bad because he made he made the same kind of misogynist gestures against women but to the hundred like percent of his power something like that like he's so goofy because he is so over the top probably because the writer didn't want the audience to think what Red Guardian and Melina did was bad because we had we have somebody who has made worse stuff Probably that was the intention, but yeah, you know, it, his accent, most of the way he delivers dialogue and stuff. I was, I always think of the villain from Tenet whenever I see a bad yeah. Russian accent because I don't know. I know Kenneth Branagh is a very good actor. Yeah, well, I know was... that he's a great guy, but he just, oh, that movie. He might have been the one link that had me laughing the majority of it. I mean, and honestly, same with this movie. Tenet is like, it was making fun of Jeff Bezos basically and i was like yeah okay i'm on with this but like like Widow was like you have to take this seriously and you can't it's too and you can't when he says i'm going to use the only infinite resource of earth young girls i was like god damn it i stopped the movie right there and, and started like staring at my screen for five minutes and saying is this movie real uh, yeah i couldn't get believe here? that either but, but it was so good it was yeah. good entertaining and then it came to that i was like oh damn it yeah and we'll get we'll get into the plot point with this character a little bit here um oh, yeah, but anyways so we talked about how the first half is kind of a slog and the second half kind of picks up a little bit now yeah what i like about an aspect of the second act is somewhat the dinner scene that they have together as a family because it kind of shows the dynamic that they've had where it basically shows each of their character traits like first off natasha is very straight she wants to get to the red room she wants her questions answered lena is playing the little sister that feels like the little glory days that they had were actually nice and that they were a family rachel weiss is just the basically the technician mother. scientist yeah. yeah the mother she's being all she's being somewhat bossy yeah just being very technical about everything and then of course alexi is the comedic Bronze. relief yeah basically he's the brawn of everything he's he's got no brain whatsoever just like this is the nice dynamic that you wanted from this movie and they do have nice moments together like well, they have obviously, 
Yeah, obviously when Yelena is in the room and Alexi is in there, they sing American Pie together. It's a nice little moment. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and it kind of shows that like he did care for them deep down and stuff like that. And even Yelena Mm kind of knows it. Um, But like there are nice moments in that. And then when they go to the Red Room, it just kind of feels like the plot of this movie just starts going all over the place. They are separated. I don't think they ever come together, the four of them, until the the final moments of the movie yes and that, this and is true. that they don't share like a lot of dialogues it's just like um natasha they're going for you i'll stay <laughs> i'll sacrifice myself for you to get out something like that that's it but in the dinner scene we see them talk interact like characters like people and then oh that was that was cool it was it was like an interesting scene and like you said, we got like the chance to see who these characters were or are in the case of those th- that aren't dead. <laughs> R.I.P. Black Widow. <laughs> Come from yeah. us too early. Um, but as, as we basically like lose that family dynamic a little bit in the third act and we start up like, all right, here's the big reveal of what Draco's been doing and stuff like that. Not the only plot- the big reveal, but also like the, the CGI fest somehow oh yeah that creeps its way into the third act yeah yeah um but anyways as as it progresses natasha is in the room we get the reveal to where she did her uh winter soldier thing where she has the fake faces on and stuff we forgot mentioning another character oh did oh yeah we did didn't we yeah uh and you were going right there but i was like wait we didn't mention that character yet yeah we, we didn't um well, we'll get, we'll get into that. There's a reason. There's a reason. Yeah, I there, bet. <laughs> yeah, there is a little bit of a reason to it. Um, but anyways, but as the plot is moving forward and stuff, and she does her little uh, Winter Soldier reveal where she has the fake face on, and it was obviously like a Mission Impossible moment and stuff. I was like, this is cool for the reveal and stuff, but then they and have then, to explain it to the audience. Want, yeah, they do like three flashbacks to explain the whole plan they're doing. Oh, it bugs me so much because I feel like the audience is smart enough to know how to decipher I, that I, stuff. I also think that the, it ruined the pacing of not the whole, not the whole final act, but the whole moment. Like every time there's a flashback, it ruins the pacing of everything that's going on at that moment mm-hmm. but this is just an editing thing so yeah maybe no nobody I know. Um, <laughs> yeah but it bugs me because the movie does that three separate times like you said with a flashback to explain how they did certain things and it's like is your audience not smart enough to decipher it like come on um but anyways as we're in the draco meeting room he's doing his big cheesy reveal and stuff like that we finally get to see Taskmaster. Now, we did not talk about Taskmaster much in this, besides yeah. maybe a little bit at the beginning. Now, you're probably thinking, why? Is in all the trailers? Taskmaster was like a poster child. Like, uh, most of the time, and they talked about how. Villain. Yeah, one of the favorite Marvel villains. Well, what if I told you Taskmaster is maybe in 40% of the movie? <laughs> not, not only that, no, uh, Taskmaster barely says a word. In I don't. Movie. Yeah, I don't even think. Does she? Does she speak at the ending? Yeah, she has like two lines. And okay, like, I thought. And, so. and also, and also, like, she's like, uh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of a character that 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 only exists to be the muscle of the ma- of the main bad guy, like a mini boss, or mm-hmm. the character to beat. 
Yeah. But nothing comes to mind, but that's basically what Taskmaster oh, um, is. Well, I would think of uh, Winter Soldier a little bit because Bucky is like the muscle a little bit, and then but Robert Bucky, Redford well, is... Bucky has personality. I, I, no, I he does have a personality, but I'm not really like, strong connection with uh, Steve Rogers in that movie. I know. Like That's they were friends, I'm... now they're enemies, and it, it there's emotion in there when they are fighting at the end of the movie yeah. in, in the helicopter and 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 uh, That's uh, what I think they're trying to replicate here. Now yeah. it may sound crazy with this, but think about it. You had Robert Redford that was basically supposedly like the main villain of Civil War. Or not Civil War, Winter Soldier. Um, and obviously Bucky was the henchman muscle of the movie. And him and Steve fight. And he's able to get Bucky's memory back a little bit to turn him good. And then Robert Redford is defeated by Natasha and Nick Fury. And then in this movie, obviously, it's Natasha takes on Taskmaster to unbrainwash her. And basically ask for forgiveness for blowing her up when she was a little girl. And then Yelena takes down Draco, the bad guy. It kind of feels like they tried to replicate that a little bit, but like you said, that emotional resonance that happened in like Winter Soldier versus this is not really there. I really like the that Red Letter Media started the meme that the bad guy was Martin Scorsese. I do too. That was a good one. <laughs> so he did funny. look like him a little bit. A little. Yeah, bit, a little when bit. they say that, I was like, "Holy shit, that's right." Yeah, but. <laughs> Um, when we get the reveal of... Well, uh, I know, I know. Taskmaster is like the three bullies with Beef in the Back to the Future movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they, they, just look, they just look distinct from any other character. But that's it. That's all their personality. Their, yeah. How they look, sadly. And like I was saying with Taskmaster a little bit, is when it's revealed that it's his daughter and stuff, you feel like the movie is going to take this in a direction where it gets more serious or like it's going to get better with her character. No, she is still relegated to basically just this walking commando that does whatever Draco says until maybe the last two minutes of the movie where she's unbrainwashed and then um, is unconscious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's 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 like... Her it's lack a problem. Of character, yeah. Like, like her, her lack of character is a problem many people have said they had with how they presented Taskmaster. But also, like, I, I didn't mind that. But what I do mind is that her character is basically nothing. That, that's her. Yeah. The, she is nothing the entire movie because that's what she's, she's supposed to represent, like, the widows that are also nothing because this man is controlling them and not letting them and not letting them explore themselves their personalities and and then that's you know i'm not saying it's bad because it's a good idea but like i said before the execution it's the problem of it all because they are not characters they are just like objectives for our characters to complete they like they they are yeah that's basically they are the main story pretty much yeah um like, but... natasha needs to liberate the widows no wait yeah. sorry no jelena is the one who wants to liberate all the widows um natasha is the one who to redeem herself wants to um liberate taskmaster yeah um, but like i said they have no character and their connection is barely explored and also yeah. the whole the whole my control is weird remember that that scene after after that action scene in which natasha fell down like three floors to to in 
Like, <laughs> I don't know. I love how Natasha Sonali is like an Avenger with powers that can recover from almost anything out of the yeah. sun. <laughs> if she survives that fall, she should have survived the cliff in Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, uh, in that scene, like, that thing happens, okay? And then she goes and tries to rescue the widow that has fallen. But while the other widows we've seen have almost zero personality, like they are only con they in their mind there's only the mission and what they yeah. need to do to, to get there. There was this one random widow who um who just like I'm not doing this, he's controlling me, and I'm like, where did that come from? Exactly. Uh, that was weird like and it's not that not it's not movie breaking but it's a weird moment in your movie when the dynamics of the main threat um aren't that well specified it's weird yeah um but anyways i wanted to talk about the one plot point that had me busting out laughing um so draco at one point in the movie, is like, okay, you're here, kill me like you wanted to. Oh, and Natasha can't. <laughs> and he's like, hmm, is your safety on? Is something not right with your gun? No, it works and stuff. And then she's like, how are you doing this? He's like, it's my pheromones. And I had never laughed at a movie oh so much God. in my life. The lady next to me probably thought I was an incel sitting like right next to her because I was laughing so hard at how dumb it was. And like, he's he's making like a motion to strike her and she like walks away from it. And then at one point in the movie, she's trying to tick him off because she's like, okay, I need him to punch me to break like my uh, septum and stuff. And he's punching her as hard as she can. And it doesn't even leave like a bruise or anything like that she's perfectly fine i'm like no a punch is a punch it's gonna leave some sort of marking and literally because his punches are not strong enough she has to break her nose on his desk which also had me laughing and literally yeah. by breaking her nose she is free of his pheromone it's it's weirdest thing ever that's what i mentioned that's what i said when i mentioned catwoman like the the um the main bad guys have this weird, weird superpower. Catwoman has this unbreakable skin, and Ray Winston has pheromones, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's like these types of plot points Marvel puts in their movies, sometimes I'm okay with, but when you've gone out of the realm of plausibility to where you can't believe something, I mean, then that becomes a problem. When you try to um, make your movie in uh, grounded in a way, like not excessively, like for example, uh, like the DC movies with Batman, they, they ground those extremely, almost, except for a few things. Like, okay, we know Marvel is this universe in which there are aliens, there are like portals, and another element that we'll discuss with Lucky. Um, but when you say this guy somehow has pheromones that prevent any woman, maybe every person I don't know, to hit them or hurt them in any way, I'm like, what the fuck is that? That's too specific. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, couldn't he have armor or maybe, I don't know, he worked with a super soldier. Couldn't he have like something yeah. like that? 
I don't know why, in, like, maybe enhanced strength's a little out there because he's, like, what, yeah. 65 years old? But, oh, like, well, yeah, anything, right, anything would have worked if not pheromones. Like, I don't... Ah, yeah. uh, it's dumb, but... It's so silly. And, and the it movie, is. And it's one yeah. thing the movie is telling you, this is serious. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I know. Um, but as, yeah, as this movie played out and stuff, and Elena defeats him, and, she, and obviously Black Widow falls with Taskmaster 500 feet to the ground and somehow survives. Um, oh, yeah, and we she, forgot. There's, like, a flying red room somehow yeah. secret. It's like the flying ship in uh, the first Avengers that they all are on. A heli carrier. A heli carrier, basically. Um, but yeah. Anyways, after she's unbrainwashed and the family comes together one last time, they have like maybe a two-five minute exchange, something like that, and then they all go their separate ways. And Natasha's like, "I can fight off Agent Ross's men. I'll be okay." And no, she, she was like, "No, it, it wasn't like I can fight them. It was more of a go. I'll." I'll get them busy because they'll be too busy taking me to take you, basically. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, but yeah, and then the movie. Uh, have, the movie doesn't end. The movie yeah, it doesn't goes end. for like three minutes, five, and I'm like, why are you still going? The movie's over. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much yeah. it. Um, but as it goes on, the last little scene that we get is her with obviously the little Avengers carrier that will be in Infinity War, and she's like, "I'm off to get the gang back together." And then the movie ends with the last yeah, shot. I didn't, I didn't like that. That it was like explaining to once again explaining to the audience what happened with Natasha's character arc, and I also say this is how Natasha got her blonde hair for Infinity War and the best he uses for that movie and that movie only. She never wears that ever again from what we've seen in these movies. No, it's... It's weird. It's it really is not like weird. Um, the post credit scene is kind of hinting at something cool, I guess, a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, Hawkeye dying? Who doesn't want to see that? <laughs> Jeremy Renner getting his <laughs> Jeremy Renner, from that's Marvel. The, that's the only one who doesn't want to see but, Hawkeye dying. But knowing, <laughs> knowing Marvel, Yelena and him will talk it out, and the misunderstanding will be resolved, and then they'll go fight the main villain of the Hawkeye series. That's my guess. That is my guess, is they will work something out, probably work together, go fight the villain. Because... I get that Marvel does want to cut Jeremy Renner, but I sincerely doubt they do something like that that would like make their fans so mad. But I'll, you I'll never imagine know, I guess. if Florence Pugh kills Jeremy Renner. I know, like, and I want them to. I want them to really bad, but I just know Marvel in some way is going to make them like fix the whole misunderstanding of like, no, I didn't kill her. She actually killed herself and stuff like that. And they're <laughs> yeah, going to go work together. Her. We were actually in the planet and she killed herself. Yeah. You trust me. <laughs> and so it, yeah, I just know that's going to happen in the future, but it was cool to see Count Contessa show up. It does kind of show that that little suicide squad thing they're going to put together is starting nice to happen, which is cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Black Avengers Widow. Okay, yeah, yeah. Black Widow. That, that was Black Widow. That was a Black movie Widow. A few years too late in the making. It was. Um, so from the way we talked, obviously, me and Charles, like I said, there isn't much to say about it that really hasn't been said by like red letter media or us or like Even critics Marcus. out there. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's just like talk, man. Everybody, yeah. everybody's saying the same shit. Like if this movie is like, well, not everybody, but like the people who are critics I, I guess or popular 
uh, review channels are saying this movie is eh. yeah but i i don't know i think it's a five out of ten on letterbox still that's what i left it on um yeah me too i, I think it's on the bottom tier for marvel not like bottom garbage I'm tier like, marvel but lower mi- middle lower yeah middle. i'd say that lower middle tier is where i had it um but yeah so that's wow we got through black widow isn't that crazy Hey, less time that they took writing the script because remember the first draft was written in 11 hours true and that's a little scary to think about that they spent that much time on it but that will conclude uh i believe our thoughts on black widow we can move into uh loki here now yeah later i guess All right, Charles, now we are moving on to Loki, and I gotta say, it's been a while since we've talked about a show that really has had a lot of people really positively talking about it, because we talked about <laughs> WandaVision, and WandaVision started out positive and then turned into discourse real fast. We had Falcon I mean, and the Winners. WandaVision, uh, WandaVision discussions were horrible. Oh, they after, were. Like the first few episodes in, yeah. on, on, on Twitter. Um, you know. Falcon and the Winter Soldier kind of started out moderate and then started to go a little haywire in discussions. Yeah. And I remember people argued over that. But then I only watched a few episodes of Loki, but then every conversation I saw around the show was like positive. I was like, wow, this might be the first Marvel show that has brought everybody to a more positive light, which was kind of cool. So Loki, the only <laughs> show that brings people together. I know, and it's sad because this was actually my most anticipated show. I was like, oh, oh out of it. the... Yeah, out of the three that got announced, like, live-action-wise, I was like, oh, this is the one I'm definitely going to be the most excited for. I love Loki. He's a great character and stuff. And, yeah, I would say out of the three, this one I like the most. Because um, here's the thing about Loki as a character. I've loved Loki as the, as the god of mischief, like, this bad guy that starts to become, like, a hero almost, in a way becomes a good person eventually. But, sadly, it's at the cost of his life at the end of Infinity War. And I was like, man, is this going to be the end of Loki? Like, that was such a great progression they were having for his character. And then, of course, they announced the TV show. And my only thing with the TV show was they're taking 2012 Loki from the Avengers attack. And they're going to try to make that version of Loki a good guy. And I was like, okay, so the progression on it is really going to have to sell me. And I think that was one of the things going into the show that kind of impressed me was they did do a pretty good job with the progression of Loki changing from god of mischief, evil villain, to kind of like this humble, everyday dude, it felt like. And he actually does have a heart of gold when you strip away the fact that he's not just the god of mischief, which is a really, really good way to write Loki for this TV series. Yeah, I really, I really liked Loki and the way the the writers played with his character because that's what it felt like. Not it only, did. not only, it felt like this organization was like breaking Loki apart. It felt like the actual writers were doing that as well. Like they they were taking bits and pieces of the character and exploring their exploring them exploring them a bit more and they go deep in it in one episode even i think you know which episode i'm talking about but really we'll talk about that a yeah. bit later um so plot synopsis for loki and the best way i'm going to be able to explain this is that uh 2012 loki from the um new york attack Endgame. 
Yeah, the one that escaped in Endgame with the Tesseract. Um, he tries to escape and go to his own little branch, but the TVA, which is the Time Variance Authority, captures him, and they're going to take him in to interrogate him, but they want to use Loki's help to track down another variant that is of Loki. And so the show kind of revolves around Loki discovering things about variants, the Time Variance Authority, and discovering if the TVA and the End of Time is all true or all a bunch of bullshit. So, Loki is a fascinating TV series. Like I said, it's probably my favorite of the Disney Plus series that has come out so far. Um, from the first episode, I would say I was pretty much hooked because it does pick up right after where we saw him in Endgame, where gets the Tesseract, escapes, lands on like this little desert planet, and then the TVA shows up, and they're like, you're coming with us. And he's like, oh, I'm the god of mischief. I'm not going anywhere. And they capture him, they bring him in, and we get a fun little like and I, I think this is kind of why I liked Loki so much from the start it's fun the way they show you how the TVA is set up like literally he has to wait in line for his court case so he has to take a ticket despite there only being one other person in the room yeah. and go through this whole system of like uh, ropes and stuff just to get up to the front even though it's so tedious then he has to go through a scanner and he has to remove a bunch of objects from his pockets and stuff that I forget what they say it was, but it was kind of like a funny little bit. He goes to another room where this guy's like, sign this if you've said, if this is everything you ever said. And he's like, what? And it prints out again and he has to sign it. And he's basically going around from place to place. And then Mobius shows up and I gotta say, Owen Wilson from this first episode also sets the stage that this series yeah, is gonna be Owen a lot better was, than the others. He was a good character, because he was a character. <laughs> yeah, he was a character. I know most people are like, oh, he's just Lightning McQueen. He'll just say ka-chow or wow every once <laughs> he in a while. He didn't say wow. I, I know. They, they robbed him of his wow. And that's the thing, is like, well, this first... did he say mom, at least? I don't know if he did. Because, that's... I mean, it's wow backwards, basically. <laughs> basically um but that's what i love about this first episode is it's all this fun immersive world that you get into and i think i kind of like that because he has this interaction with mobius and of course he's like i'm gonna escape i'm the god of mischief you can't hold me down i'll destroy this place and stuff and then mobius is just kind of coy with him a little bit he's like oh really so you're the god of mischief you think you're gonna get out of this room what are you so good at like do you not realize that your life as a variant really doesn't have as much significance as you think and loki doesn't believe him he just believes this guy is playing him up and stuff but then of course mobius is showing him sections of his life in this episode and stuff and even moments with his mother and brother and it's kind of like this guilt trip to make loki reflect on the type of person you know he has become or that he was yeah. and how he was terrible and stuff but uh as the episode progresses and loki escapes their grasp for a little bit he goes back to that room and he sees what kind of person he could become And I think that's kind of a brilliant little moment because this shifts the balance of the series going forward that Loki is not going to become like the image that he was shown by Owen Wilson. He wants to become like the version that he watched on his own in that room crying, obviously, because he wanted that relationship with Thor and his mother and stuff like that. But he was never sure he was going to get something like that because Loki, of course, as the series will continue to nail over the head, is lonely. He's alone. He'll always be alone. But That's not the case because this show does a lot of brilliance here writing his character. Yeah, I gotta say, I, <laughs> I'm in your boat, kinda. Kinda? Because, I mean, yeah, yeah, because the first half of the episode, I didn't like it as much. Oh, really? No, like, I thought it was like, it wasn't boring, it was just too much for me. Okay, I understand. I was that. watching it and I was like, I don't understand how the 
time works in this universe. And yeah. Like, like, and then like we got to Mobius, and everything from there went great. Like I love how instead of making the audience go through the same character development that we went with Loki, they put Loki to go through that same character development. Yeah. He he actually watches what we did, <laughs> and I think that's fun because he learns from it. And like uh, this is why I'm telling you, the writers are playing with Loki. It's yeah, amazing. pretty much. Uh, it's, um, this, this, this is so such smart writing. That's what I want. To it say. is, yeah. And, um, and I think it also represents how I feel about the show because the first half I didn't like it that much, mm-hmm. but the second half, oh man, I'm all in into that. Show. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, of course, from this first episode then had an issue because the TVA basically watches oh. over everything and they are to make sure you do everything you are supposed to. And so this led to a lot of people online getting very angry at this because they were like, so you're meaning to tell me they were okay with the Avengers going back in time and stealing the Infinity Stones? That's or what they gave were, me a headache, yes. Yeah, or they're okay <laughs> with uh, Loki escaping New York, or they were okay with like Loki destroying New York, and they're okay with Ultron being created. Or they were okay they, with 911. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, they, they, they were okay with oh, um, all of these different things that happened because it was on their direct path. They were okay with Donald Trump being president. <laughs> yeah, like they were okay with all of these things that were happening in the universe. I'm sorry, it's just fun to say that. <laughs> and um, all of this stuff like does make your head hurt a little bit because it does make you think, why would they allow like these evil people to get away with this stuff or the Avengers to like mess with time and do this? Like especially yeah. going and getting all the stones in Endgame should have been a big no-no because they're well, basically creating their own yeah. branches. But they want I, I, you to basically kind of shut your brain off a little bit and no, just go. No, no, what I think is that they knew what they were doing. They they knew they were being confusing. Par- yeah, and, paradoxical or, and stuff like that. I was gonna yeah. have that because, well, as we see in the ending, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll I'll wait until we get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they kind of wanted you to just experience more of the Loki character growth, and like they didn't want you to think too hard about they, like they, all of the elements they, of that because <laughs> it's Loki centric, which is what oh. I like. Yeah. To make another reference to Tenet, as you did in Black Widow, I'm going to say they only needed a character to say, "Don't try to, not don't try to under to understand it." Yeah, feel, feel it. it. Just, it. Yeah, shut <laughs> shut your brain off a little bit and experience yeah. what's going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a great first episode. Um, Mobius is great in the first episode. I like that. He, he's by the book, basically, whatever the TVA tells him he wants to do, but, you know, he's Owen Wilson. He's got his own flair to how he delivers dialogue. He's a very calming presence. He's not like he's not like Draco from <laughs> Black Widow screaming in your face about how he's the most powerful person in the room. It's just... He's not a character that that whose only existence is to set up something for the future or yeah. just be there for the characters to go through something because of because of their help or something like that no? yeah like i said he's an actual character in the show yeah um it, it's a good first episode um like i said it it does pretty well trying to dance around the whole like uh the t- tva uh holding time stuff but i think the biggest one that rocked the internet was the infinity stones being used as paper i don't know why <laughs> um i mean i love how when that happened loki was like what the fuck 
Yeah. My life is a lie. Basically. <laughs> he, like, that, that's when he had his mental breakdown and then returned to the place where he saw his life because he understood how meaningless everything was. And then everyone, everyone, everyone on the internet was like losing their shit, taking exactly the wrong message from that scene. Oh yeah, a little bit. And you know, I kind of love that in that moment he is like, is this the greatest power in the universe? And it is a moment that's supposed to signify to the audience, I think like, look, we are literally and figuratively putting the Infinity Saga in a drawer and shutting it and we're <laughs> moving on. That. Yeah. Uh, like they want people to know we are done with all of that endgame crap, even though we just put out a movie with Black Widow set after Civil War, but don't think about it. We are moving on, basically. And that's kind of the beauty of it a little bit, is that Loki is shutting all of that behind and we are officially moving into phase four, which is great. Um, so it's a very good first episode. I think it ends on a nice note of Loki kind of reflecting on like, is this the greatest power we have? And when you go into episode two, which is the variant, um, this episode's great too, because again, it's a lot more Loki growth. Him and Mobius actually grow a little bit together and form some chemistry here, which is awesome because essentially what Mobius wants to do is use Loki to track down this variant. And he thinks the best way, obviously, for a Loki to get caught is for another Loki to track him. Well, a lot of this episode is basically spent with Loki using his smarts like, where would I go if I was trying to hide from the TVA? What would and, Loki do? Wait, yeah, what Loki. would Loki do? And then he's like, oh, wait, I'd hide out in the end of the world apocalypses. And so he goes and there's a very brilliantly funny scene where he tries to explain while Mobius is having lunch how the apocalypses work and stuff and how his variant self has been able to hop around and stuff. And you feel so bad for Owen Wilson because that's his lunch and Loki's destroying it. Um, <laughs> but one thing that I love about it is um, they at first there is a skepticism. But Mobius learns to trust Loki a little bit. He's like, I feel like he's not screwing us over. Because in the beginning of the episode, you notice Loki when they're going to like that medieval town that's set in the 80s, which I will admit that was a very bizarre choice, but kind of funny. Which um, one, sorry? What? What, what was a bizarre choice? Oh, um, like they, it starts off with like this medieval opening and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, and the like, medieval opening. Yeah, that yeah was, and then it's set when in they the played, 80s. When they played, I knew the hero was like, Okay, that was odd. Yeah, um, because when they go to this tent, Loki's trying to use his trickster ways to get out of it. He's like, oh, the variant is here. You need to trust me. You need to give me a weapon. I'm going to take care of him and stuff. That was and they're funny. Like, that was funny. Yeah, <laughs> when, and he's like, nice he's, try. Like, wait a second. I know your ways, Loki. He doesn't surprise yeah. me anymore. Um, and it, it's a it's a brilliant moment um, because, like I said, as the episode goes on, there's still a skepticism for Mobius, but he trusts Loki that this is the right place that he needs to go. And so they go to this apocalypse, which is set with like this hurricane that's hitting Alabama in some distant future, and they go into this mart or near future. Yeah, um, and so. <laughs> They go into this mart and the variant is basically possessing a bunch of different humans and stuff and is talking to Loki and all that. And as they're going over like this pitter patter back and forth, basically, then what ends up happening is the variant reveals and it's a female Loki. A woman? A woman uh? in a Marvel show, but um, <laughs> it's Sylvie. And after Loki and her uh, talk, she, yeah, she I trusts hate her. Sorry. I, I hate. I, I. I honestly. I. I say this many times, but I really do hate when, when shows or movies are like, yeah, we need to find he. We need to find him. 
they do that and I'm like oh, it's a she isn't, isn't it because we don't see the the, the person's face and, and, and they're always saying he 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 it's a she and it's always a she it's always a woman they should use like they there that's easier that's how you know oh it could be a man or a woman I don't yeah, know um, hey, but basically they're they're debating over overthrowing the timekeepers and then of course Loki is still kind of skeptical on it but she has a bunch of reset charges which I guess yeah. we didn't establish the TVA yeah Loki. the TVA will reset uh, timelines with these little reset charges that they have and stuff to basically make sure everything is clean nice nifty you know the timeline is going the way it is but she sends them out across time and activates them and numerous little branches start to go off and it's to distract the TVA so that way she can get away and Loki obviously follows behind and the episode ends and, so what yeah. I like yeah what I like about this episode is like I said there's a lot of growth for Loki here with him and Mobius obviously growing to be better friends because like I said the beginning is oh he's still the god of mischief he's still trying to get his way out of this and get answers but as it goes on he learns that he needs to trust the TVA and the TVA needs to trust him or this relationship doesn't work and they do but the wrench is thrown back in it when Sylvie shows up and is like hey I know something you don't and he's skeptical but ultimately goes with her because it is a variant of himself and he has a lot more questions that were not answered by the TVA exactly. yeah, yeah. And also, it's, it's a low like something like what I got from that scene wasn't that Loki wanted to escape the TVA at that moment yeah he wanted to like, know more a little bit yeah he, he was like okay who are you why are you me why why are you why why aren't you like me like no he was curious as well as the audience basically and that's what the next episode is <laughs> technically yeah um so the next episode is interesting because and i feel like this is going to be a bit of a hot take it was not my favorite i will um, say that yeah. right now um why i didn't is this is where the show got a little weirder for me because Sylvie and Loki have essentially known each other maybe a few hours, right? I know, like a minute, a few minutes. Uh, yeah, and this episode tries to write a romance kind of yeah, forum. I noticed that too. I was like, wait, are they going to fuck? Yeah, and I'm like, okay, here's the issue with that. You have six episodes, right, to flesh out this little romance that they're going to have. And these two have known each other five minutes and they're flirting with each other. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not how this should work. You you need to spend time to set this up because uh, I did not. one more episode. Yeah, you has... need one more episode because they just instantly start falling for each other. I'm like, I get it. Yeah. Like that, that cliche Hollywood trope of like, oh, you bumped into me, I bumped into you, and now we're falling in love. But like, this is, no, it does not uh, work I, like this. It to be more organic, like yeah. Marcus said, like you didn't need to put all the the uh the flirty dialogue in that train because before the train scene they, they have like conversations they, they, yeah they, they feel like they are these two characters interacting for the first time they don't get along too well but they have to manage yeah and then when they are in the train it's like ha huh, so lucky tell me do you fuck yeah, yes, I do, much. Loki. Do you fuck? Oh, of course I do. <laughs> um, there's also the nice little floor, uh, like little line where we get oh, um, the dagger. Hmm? The the dagger line. Oh, we get the line. Well, I was talking about the line where uh, Sylvia's like, 
oh so have you gone after a lot of princesses or princes and he's like oh. a bit of both and he's like i suspect the same out of you and i remember there's like a thousand articles written around this moment and i was you know, like that's it's a nice moment yeah i was oh, like it's yeah. a nice moment i was like but i feel like a lot of people already kind of knew loki was like bisexual I mean, but I, I i'm gonna be honest i, I prefer this to be part <laughs> to be loki's coming out party rather than having sex with the grandmaster because he oh yeah that's that's very true life. like like yeah i mean if, if i have to choose one i prefer this one <laughs> yeah um but it, it's a it's a weird episode because i wasn't completely invested and you had the weird setup for the romance that i couldn't i just did not buy in the slightest yeah. basically no, me, me neither but I, you could feel that the the chemistry at you, least you like, could feel between, the chemistry between the actors yeah but um, they were rushing it like they were rushing this romance too much <laughs> yeah they were rushing and dragging at the same time but um <laughs> basically this whole episode of i had to summit is they're on this planet that is inevitably going to be destroyed they need to get on this arc thing and they obviously have the romantic flirty moments then they get to where they need to to get on this arc and it's destroyed and the episode ends I'm like okay this this felt a little underwhelming and kind of yeah. the, like weakest episode and that's uh -huh. why i was kind of like well you have six episodes don't make each one kind of a waste and this one felt like kind of a waste in some areas i, I didn't so, think it was kind of a waste. i think it like it had i think it does some good it's it yeah good it, it establishes it, a lot but i think the the final scene was like okay maybe no i didn't like that yeah i didn't care for like, it either it, it's it's like uh, like uh, a one shot okay not a really one a real one shot but it, it it tries to be one and i'm like but why because it looks cool only yeah something know. like that and yeah. then the way the way it ends i'm like no i don't think this episode needs to end like this yeah like, like um, it's just like the arc explodes okay that's it uh, i'm glad i didn't watch this weekly because i'll be like what the fuck was that ending yeah, that's that's very true. Um, now the Nexus event is episode four, and this is kind of where it picks up a little bit for me. But this also opens some subplots with some other uh, TVA members a little bit. So this episode is interesting because basically Sylvie and Loki have to create a. It's basically like a rift, basically it's so big yeah, enough that the TVA a, would notice it. Yeah, we still don't know what that is, but that happened. It's some two answers that question. Yeah. Um, but the two of them still being kind of flirtations and stuff they they kind of like no, that's what i like they they weren't being for flirtation they weren't flirting that moment they were just like being kind to each other because they thought they were going to die um but that's, anyway, like, yeah. that, like that's the moment when i say i want things to be more organic with them that's the moment i was like yes now i see it. now now i see where the attraction comes from like yeah, the, the, um, <laughs> but anyways, they, they create this little rift and the TVA comes and finds them. And obviously, Mobius is obviously it's very pissed off. off. Yeah. Um, Loki, and he, what did you do? You betrayed me. Yeah, uh, and he, he traps Loki in basically this infinite loop room. With Lady and, Sif. Yeah, with Lady Sif, which was a cool little cameo to see her back. Yeah. And it's a nice moment where he's like okay i know i'm a terrible person i'm gonna fuck up and stuff like that i promise i i deserve to be alone and stuff like that but she continuously kicks him in the, the balls and it's just over and over and over again and it's the like, same the same the same yeah uh, even though it's a bit on the nose that's that's like that's the moment i really like because 
it not only did it work for the audience to be told the problems with Loki that he needed to fix after the show, it also served as a lesson for Loki. Like, like this is who you are. You need to yeah. change that if you want to not be alone, which is like his ultimate goal in the series. Yeah. Um... But like I said, this opens some subplots because I guess we didn't talk about B-15. Yeah, we didn't talk about any the, other yeah, character um, except Owen Wilson. The, the actress from B-15 is from Lovecraft Country, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah she is. Yeah, she yeah, is. okay. Um, and her character at first was kind of like, uh, she's almost like the leader almost of, I would say, the guards that work for uh, the TBA. And she starts off as a character that's very annoyed by Loki, does not like him, because uh, in the first episode, Loki trapped her on a loop for a little bit. Yes, that was funny. And then she, she still doesn't trust him. But in this episode, Sylvie unlocks her memory, and she realizes a little bit that she's a variant and starts thinking about that. And it's an interesting moment because Sylvie basically knows that like all of these people have been plucked out from the... Uh, real world and have been placed in the TVA, which is kind of something that is really messed up to think about a little bit because yeah. uh, early on C20, who we didn't talk about much either, who was found in the warehouse oh, yeah, in ep yeah. uh, episode two, also knows that she is a variant because in the opening of the episode, Sylvie and her are in like this little uh, memory that she has where she's at a bar and she's like, wait a minute, I don't know you. We're not friends and stuff. She's like, no, no, no. It's just a bad dream you're having and stuff. And she's like, oh, that's right. And she gives up, of course, where um, the timekeepers are, which are past these gold elevators. And it's kind of cool because Sylvie in that moment knows that this was a human being and she wants to free each of the TVA members, let them know they're living a lie. And even after she's told Loki and Loki relays it to Mobius, Mobius still is not sure about what he's saying is true. He's like, oh, you're a trickster. You lied, you ran off and stuff. But Loki is actually genuine for months. And this is kind of one of the nicest moments where Loki's progression has finally made him start to tell the truth to others. And even though Mobius is like, I still don't believe you and stuff, you're going to have to go with them and all that, he yeah. does take a moment to reflect. And I believe he goes to their little library thing and he's looking no, up no. stuff. He, he goes to, to to another character we didn't talk about, uh, Ravona, Ravona Renslayer or something yeah, like Ramona that. Yeah, Ramona Renslayer. The, the also leader of the show. TA. Yeah. Yeah, like she, she, she's not like a great character, but she's fine for what she's okay. She does. Like I said, okay. a lot of the subplot characters kind of get underwritten. Yeah, um, and, and like uh, Mobius goes to her office because they are good friends, mm -hmm, and, yeah. and then switches his pad, dead pad. I don't remember, like the yeah, thing they like use to crawl in time. Pad, and yeah. Yeah, 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 and and he sees the recordings of the interrogations of C20 and, and then that's when he realizes when he realizes oh my god everything I've known is a lie and yeah. he takes the decision to make something better out of it oh yeah and that's great um and so he wants to go back and he talks to Loki like I know that the TVA is like lying and stuff I know you're telling the truth but we got to keep our heads low with this stuff but he comes out yeah. And um, Renslayer is there and he's trying to, you know, talk his way out of it. But then he's like, I just want to know what my life was like before. Maybe I had a jet ski because he yeah. has a fascination oh. with jet skis. Oh. Um, oh. But Mobius ends up getting pruned, which is basically like put was, to death. I was um, so sad when that happened. I was like, no. There goes Owen Wilson. Oh. Um, but anyways, then Loki and Sylvie are taken to see the timekeepers. And at first, when we I saw... We didn't talk about them either, right? Not really. So I guess 
quickness on this. The timekeepers are three all-seeing lizard people um, <laughs> that watch over the sacred timeline and make sure everything is going well. And I got to admit, the first time I heard this, I was like, oh, cool. So three lizards have been watching over all the stuff that's happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like but Sokenberg and yeah, yeah. Gates. <laughs> I was like, thank goodness this episode clears that up a little bit, though, because spoiler alert uh it turns out that the timekeepers are actually animatronics from Disney yeah, World. basically um <laughs> and i was like thank god for that reveal because i don't know if the timekeepers all being these three lizards would have invested me all that well being honest but um it was cool that it was like a co- like a fake out it was like oh they're not actually real and stuff like that but um like i said when loki and them go to the room to be interrogated by them then um B-15 comes in and helps them and right as they figure out the reveal Loki is going to tell Sylvie something but then gets pruned by Renslayer and then the episode ends with her like you're going to tell me everything that's happening and stuff and then there's a there's actually a post credit scene that's yeah. kind of cool. Uh, Loki wakes up in the void and there are three different versions of other Lo- well four yeah four. technically other yeah. versions of technically Loki's. he's not a gator he's a Loki too he, has he is a that's right um, <laughs> but it's a very nice episode very very nicely written episode like I said the subplots that open up here we'll kind of talk about as they go on but um, this was this was a really nice well written episode compared to three I would say yeah I, I like I told you this was the first episode I was like okay this is getting better Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I can tell you, like the first half I didn't like, and the second half it's all wins for me. So, so I'm going to be way more positive from now on. A first yeah. one for me in this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so episode five is Journey into Mystery. This is probably my favorite episode yeah, of the too, series. Um, I love that. I love this episode. Absolutely. Yeah, very very good episode. So like we said, they're in the void, and Loki is with all his other Lokis. So. What you got here is a mishmash of different actors. Um, first off, Hugh um, Grant. No, is... wait, what? <laughs> Hugh Grant? No, Richard E. Grant. Uh, Richard E. Grant. Why does I think <laughs> it is? Oh, I Hugh watched Grant. a movie with Hugh Grant recently. That's why. Um, I, I bet it was playing Tung 2. It has to be playing Tung 2. It cannot um, be anything else. <laughs> uh, but Richard E. Grant is classic Loki. He's got the classic comic costume, which I love. Yeah. Um, you've it also... looks like Kermit. He does a little bit. You're you're right. No, there, he does. There's, no, there's a meme around like he's Kermit <laughs> Loki. People are saying that. I'm like, okay, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, the boy um, Opre plays. Bo- yeah, he's boastful Loki, as they oh, call him, Loki. which is kind of funny. I will say. Um, the I'm still looking for the kid that plays Loki. I can't it's Loki? find. Loki. Yeah, Kid uh, Loki. I'm trying to find I'm the actor. Sure it's somewhere in Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. somewhere on Wikipedia. Um, yeah. And then Alligator Loki, which was probably Jack a fan Beale. favorite. Yeah. Oh, Jack Beale. Jack okay. Beale as Kid Loki. Um, but it's a it's fun to see the three of them kind of go back and forth, know everything about the void. They're like, all right, guys, we got to get on the move because this giant dog thing in the sky is going to eat us if we don't get moving. Um, And it's kind of a fun little moment where we get to see Loki interact with all the other Lokis. And he's like, so how did you guys all get here? And Richard E. Grant is probably one of the most interesting because he's like, well, after what happened with, you know, Ragnarok and confronting Thanos, I created a projection of myself surreal. Thanos bought it. (laughs) But then I decided to flee and go live on my own. And as I'm living on this planet, I was like lonely. I wondered if Thor missed me or anything like that. But as I set out to go find him, the TVA showed up and took me. 
Then I think Boastful Loki said, he, what did he say? Oh my God, I know what he said. He said he killed Iron Man, Captain America, and took all the stones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Kid Loki killed Thor, which was the darkest one. Yeah, the darkest timeline. And then Alligator Loki ate the wrong cat, which <laughs> yeah. might be the biggest crime. Um, <laughs> but it's fun because in this moment, Loki's like, well, guys, we got to fight this Elias thing. I got to make sure I get out of here and find whoever's behind and this timeline like, stuff. And they're like, no, thank you. No, no, thank you. We already did that. It didn't work. And as he tries to escape, he runs into a bunch of other Loki variants, especially President Loki. President and Loki, yeah. uh, it turns out Boastful Loki led them there. And he and then President Loki's like, I'm gonna betray you because I'm actually gonna take over as king. And, and then, then all, of, all of the other Loki's are like, No, we're gonna betray you and we're gonna become king. He's like, You bastards! How could you do this? And, and then, then alligator Loki. <laughs> alligator hand. Loki's there. Well, I think the funniest part is when President Loki's like, Why is there an alligator here? And then he it's goes, Loki. Bite, Yeah, he bites his hand off. He screams. It turns into a Loki war, and it's so fun. This is the it's, stuff yeah, that I love. I, 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 when I say I love this episode, it, like from this moment on, I'm like full in this series. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's beautiful. not only is it crazy that we're seeing the same character fighting different versions of, of themselves, but it's also meaningful to show us what's the uh the end of all lockies at the end of the day they they are they are all fighting against each other because not only they cannot be trust but they want power no matter what no matter how small how insignificant they will do anything for that and i love all the subtext about loki's character in this episode it's amazing it's it it's total at times sometimes it's more more um persistent on the screen or on the dialogue but it's amazing i love it yeah it's great um and, and as i also was... love how a recurring gag is as people asking is that alligator a lucky mm -hmm. i love it everybody everybody asks that and i'm like <laughs> i just yes. want to know um <laughs> but anyways uh one of the subplots that's also at the beginning of the episode is Sylvie is trying to get the information on who created like uh, the, the time or who got the timeline and stuff, who's behind the end of time and all that. And Renslayer is basically trying to stall oh. her for time. Yeah. And then, of course, it turns out uh, she actually was lying to her. And then, of course, Sylvie has one choice basically, which is to die and go find Loki, which she does. And so she wakes up in the void, and Owen Wilson is there with his pizza little car. pizza car, which I don't know if that's a reference to another Disney property that has a pizza car in it from a movie with toys. Oh, um, I have no. <laughs> I, I would be willing to bet maybe, but um, anyways, they, they drive off, and they end up running into Loki at one point, which was kind of neat. And there's another great moment where Sylvie and him kind of sit down, and it's nice the way that they, they just, just kind of talk things out. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Owen Wilson's like, well, go out there, stop Eliath and stuff, and then help me tear down the TVA and all that together, which was kind of nice. I love and how Loki in the first episode is like, I'm going to burn this place down. And, and, and Mobius in this episode says the same thing. And I'm like, ah, nice. Yeah, it's nice. And then we get this very cool moment where uh, Richard E. Grant's Loki, um, Loki, and then Sylvie all take on Eliath. And Richard E. Grant... Let me just say, even wonderful. though he's in this one episode, he's wonderful. Kind of yeah. creates like this fake looking 
I don't know how to describe it. Asgard, Asgard, yeah, basically. Um, And he sacrifices himself, but he's he he yells glorious purpose because Loki always is trying to look for the glorious purpose in life. What I love about that moment? What's that? There's an there's a line in episode one. I think somebody says it. I think it's Mobius. They they say that the purpose of Loki's is to make way for another character to become better. Yeah. And and that works in the way that Loki serves that purpose and dies. And I love that for the first time, maybe in, well, at least in the MCU, for the first time, the person who Loki helps by sacrificing or dying, it's himself. Even though it's weird, but it's true. Yeah, it's a a good little Richard E. Grant's Loki help the like dying help loki himself oh yeah it's a good like i'm telling you the way this episode writes about loki as a character it's amazing you don't even some things fly over your head even there are probably stuff i didn't even notice before and you know people were concentrating a lot in easter eggs and i'm like well i guess but that shit that's the shit i love all yeah. those character moments. I am like, that's why I love so much the moment in Loki when, when he created the fake Asgard because everything was coming full circle. And in fact, then Loki even uh, learned something. Learned to when when because Sylvie was going to enchant Aki. What was the name? <laughs> I forgot the name of the fucking thing of the clout. Lyoth. What? Sorry, I didn't hear you. Aliyah. yeah. He, like, Sylvie was going to enchant Aliyah, and she needed help from Loki, who had no idea how to enchant somebody, and then he just... He did it. He trusted somebody for the first time in his life, and he did something because he also trusted himself by trusting Sylvie, who is a Loki variant. Like, it's amazing. I love it. Works in every single level. <laughs> true. That's very true. Um... But this was a great little episode, probably still my favorite of the entire series. Um, thus far? Yeah, thus far. Um, but uh, the next episode after, which is for all time always, this one's pretty big. Uh, very significant because let's just say this is going to set some things in motion for Phase 4 that I most general audiences that just see the movies, I would recommend you need to watch this show because this episode reveals something very, very big. So... This episode starts off with them obviously going back to um, this. What? I don't think it has a name. It's just the end of time or something yeah, it's like the that. End of time, so yeah. Um, but they walk in and miss minutes. That's been played brilliantly by Tara Strong. Is talking about uh, the one at the end of time. He's here he and stuff. Remains. Yeah, he who remains. Uh, he's been waiting for you. He wants to cut a deal and stuff like that. And we get the reveal that it's Jonathan Majors. Jonathan Majors, the actor. I'm I'm willing to say Jonathan Majors in DMCU is that guy. Mm -hmm. He's a variant of Jonathan Majors. I don't know what name they're going to give the book. I know he's probably going to be Kang or something, but no. Probably. For me, me, he is Jonathan Majors' variant. Yeah, um, but he shows up and he has this very, like, fun, plucky personality. He's very goofy, joking around and stuff. And it was so, yeah, it was so interesting. I was like, wow, okay, so Jonathan Majors is having a boatload of fun with this role, but he's so calm and collected about everything 
even when he literally is like, I don't know what's going to happen past this moment, and I kind of love it. And that's such an interesting character to dive into that even he doesn't know what his fate's going to be, but he doesn't care because he wants to see it play out. Um, but basically, to give you what he reveals in this episode, basically he was a scientist that discovered multiverse theory, and he went off to find different versions of himself. And for a little bit, they learned some stuff off each other, but then there was a multiversal war where each of the variants is like, no, I should take over each of the different multiverses. But he managed to find a way to bring all of the timelines together in a way to make sure that the one flows correctly, because if he dies, then these timelines are going to go out of order and multiple Kang the Conquerors may possibly come looking. Yeah. Which I know we can't say King the Conqueror, but come on. Yeah, like, yeah. It's we can right say it, in your notes. Yes, but we know. I'll, we know also, who it's going to be. Also, please, to understand this plot point, you need to watch Rick and Morty. And you, so you need at least 220 IQ points to understand what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Eat your Szechuan sauce and watch Rick and Morty. <laughs> no, but really, I was thinking about Rick and Morty because of the whole Rick stuff and also the writer for. for not, not the writer, but the, the guy who created the show. He, he's a writer. He was a writer for Rick and Morty. I don't know if yeah. You know that. So um, I made the connection just by that. But, it was um, also in this episode, uh, we do cut back a little bit to the subplot characters, like I said. So B10, uh, Renslayer. Uh, we we kind of cut back to their little adventures where she is trying to figure out like what their past selves were like and stuff. And B10 is trying to wake up the other variants. And it's a fine subplot, but like I said, this is where the show leaves some stuff open-ended, which I guess is fine because they're going for also season two. two. Yeah. But it is also kind of frustrating that a lot of these subplots are very inconclusive or just kind of reach their dead end point and that's it. Which I know might be a bit of a nitpick, but I kind of wish there was more for some of these side characters. Or kind of like Marcus said in his review a little bit, I kind of didn't like that it threw off some of the tone and also pacing for some episodes when they cut back to it. But especially here, because in this final episode, I want to know everything that's going on between Sylvie, Loki, and Jonathan Majors. But we had to cut back to those subplots a little bit that kind of they, go they only cut like once, twice, I, I think. Yeah. Like when they change from the hallways or the elevator to the big room they are at the end and then at the end when when when, when Loki is is not betrayed but like and then by Sylvie and he she sends him back to the TVA. I think uh, there's also the moment where B10 finds Renslayer's alternative. Oh uh, yeah, life. I about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then uh, there's another moment where Renslayer is yeah, yeah, reflecting. No, that, that, yeah, that, yeah, that that moment when she when she sends a guard of time to mm -hmm. to the that 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 did felt like okay. So what are you going to do about that? Nothing. Okay, you're just setting it up for later, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you are just setting it up for later. Um, the weirdest thing here though um, is in this moment you know Loki obviously is telling the truth for once and he actually cares about but, someone you know and all that. I, I like that. You say he's saying the truth, but is he saying the truth? He, I, I like well, that. you like, know, the he, progression he has no idea if he because okay, I, I know, I know that the progression says that he is saying the truth, but I think it's more interesting if we see it from the perspective that the only thing that Loki wants is to protect Sylvie, and if he 
and and if the multiverse collapses, uh, yeah, he can't like, protect her. He, ca- he kind of even if he does not believe in that, he needs to say he does to yeah. to, to, to prevent that from happening. And I yeah. like to think that like, that he like they don't explain. Maybe it it can be he can be say, he could be saying the truth. It could, and, yeah, I, I, think, and, I, yeah. and I would agree with that. I, I don't disagree, but I think it's far more interesting if we it is we yeah. see it as maybe he's not. And also we have that that scene after he's sent back to TVA when he's used that. Uh, there's yeah. so many reasons. Like maybe he is sad because not only did he lost Sylvie, but he also lied to her, or maybe because he he's alone. Maybe yeah, he's. You know, there's million ways to to watch that scene, and I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting moment too, but especially after Sylvie basically does ultimately kill Jonathan Majors. He's just like, I'll see you soon. And then all of the timelines go sporadic. I'm like, oh, so Loki was kind of right about this. Um, and the interesting thing is Jonathan Majors will definitely be back, whether it's comic book accurate Kang the Conqueror or just a variant version of Kang the Conqueror. We won't know. He'll but be back as Harrison Wells. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but the, the multiverse is now in motion because all those branches are going sporadic and the TVA is not going to be able to shut down each one of them and um, obviously later we're going to have Shang-Chi and the Eternals and Spider-Man 3 so we're going to have to see what the MCU mainstay movies do I'm not interested in Shang-Chi and the Eternals like I'm more interested in Doctor Strange only because of this show not Spider-Man, even. <laughs> I know. I, I, I don't. Like, I'm. I'm probably going to watch that movie, but I'm not interested in. It seems so convoluted. With all the thousands of theories about Toby Andrew and all apart, the different. Apart from that, I like. I don't know. I want to see a trailer before. I know. Saying, well, I we can all get excited that. for Venom too in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. Woo! You know, um, there's going to be Carnage. There is going to be carnage and Woody Harrelson in a in a very yeah. bad wig. <laughs> no, they changed the wig. Remember? They did change wigs, which is better. Um, but so, yeah, so this is an interesting final episode because, like you said, it shapes. Oh, I guess we didn't talk about what happens when Loki meets yeah. Owen Wilson. This moment is so shocking because he goes to talk to him, and I don't remember what Owen Wilson said. Is it "Who are you?" or does he know. say? Yeah, he didn't yeah. know who Loki was. He was like, "Who are you? Are you one of the new guys working at reception, something like that." Yeah, and so this even shows that, oh, Loki isn't even in the right timeline, per se. And now here we are, multiverse wide open. Loki is basically by himself, and he's going to have to recruit the help of others. Bada bing, bada boom. Episode ends. Season Season. 2 is hinted at the ending. Yeah. And so that's Loki in the six-episode span. And then I think... And you know what? I like that it answered the question everyone, everyone wanted to know. How many Lokis do you need to break the universe? Yeah. Um, yeah, and <laughs> that's the brilliant thing, is now Loki has set the multiverse in motion. We'll see what the movies do. Obviously, I think What If is the next TV show, Yeah. I think. yeah. No, it is. Um, it is the next Marvel TV show. I okay. don't know what comes after What If. We got the Bad Batch going right now, still in Star Wars land. So this is this is probably the last big thing I'm really excited for TV show wise until stuff starts coming out later. But um, um, yeah, 
this this was good marvel i gotta say um you know and that's the thing is like i said this is probably my favorite of all of the marvel shows like if i had to rank it it probably goes this Falcon and the Winter Soldier and oh. WandaVision are tied most likely. I don't know where to place either. No, I, I, no, I, I, I like WandaVision's big moments more than Falcon oh, and Winter Soldier. Okay, Winter and Soldier. And I, don't mean, I don't mean action scenes, I mean emotional moments. Mm-hmm. I like those better. They feel yeah. better work around the characters and more, um, I don't know. I mean, remember how Bucky had his whole arc happened off 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 screen <laughs> yeah i like, remember like that. that you know one division at least had that happened to wanda on the screen and even if i didn't like how it ended i appreciate that they show that yeah that's a that's a nice way of putting it um <laughs> But I guess now to give a full synopsis of this show, wrapping it all together, this was actually a lot easier to do than the other 10 episode Marvel series that we'd been talking about. Um, But yeah, Loki is a good show. Uh, Probably my favorite of the live action ones that have come out so far. I think it has a lot of great progression for Loki. Sylvia is a very interesting character that gets written. Owen Wilson is very good in this show. Um, like I said, some of the subplot characters either go to a dead end or there could have been a lot more that I wanted from them. The romance is still very 50-50 for me and yeah. very rushed, I would say, yes. Um, and that's the thing about Loki is it's going to come with its ups and downs, and I'm sure season two will flesh some of these aspects out better. But for now, these are just kind of my thoughts stringing together for Loki. I'm excited for the future. I'm excited to see Kang the Conqueror. I'm excited to see all these timelines sporadically. I'm actually excited to kind of see what Marvel might do in the future, but I know all it takes is one bad movie or one bad TV show, and my expectations yeah. come crashing down. Or two in a row. Yeah, or two. Well, yeah, and I guess we'll have to see what these next two bring. Oh, wait, I think She-Hulk is next. No, Hawkeye. Hawkeye is next. Yeah, Hawkeye is next, for sure. Well, we talk about how we want to see Hawkeye dead, so yeah. I know. <laughs> Even though I, we both kind of talked about earlier, that probably won't be the case, but we can only dream. Yeah. Uh, dream. What if Hawkeye dies? What dies. if? Uh, that could be an episode. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm probably going to stamp this with a 7 out of 10 for now. And I was kind of talking about Charles before we recorded because this didn't blow me away. I would say in any way, shape, or form. I just really liked it. And I feel like that's kind of fine for most people that might be in the same zone as me where they just kind of thought this was good. You were able to watch and sit through it, but it didn't blow you away in any shape or form. So, Charles, if you want to give your little synopsis on it. Um, well, I like Loki. I really mm-hmm. did. Even though at the beginning I didn't, at the end it won me over. Just like the character who I actually didn't like that much before the show. Um, no, and then this show does what a good show does best. Builds upon the main character. It works the the show teams around him. And you know, everything ends up in a nice bow that closes most arcs in a way that's interesting, but also leaves them open for the next season. And even it though does. um no, I, I think that the technical aspects were maybe overblown by some because <laughs> everybody knows Marvel isn't that isn't that great with cinematography and well with um 
interesting cinematography and directing. I yeah. think here it was like, it was good. No, it wasn't like boring or anything. It was like good, good cinematography, yeah. good yeah, directing. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I love how they work with the character of Loki in every single narrative, thematic, uh, plot-wise level. I'm, I'm amazed by that. I love it. And if I had to give a score, it'd be um, 7.5 out of 10, closer <laughs> to an 8, honestly. Uh, I just I just put it in 7.5 because I didn't quite like the ending. I think it was maybe too much of exposition. Like, 75% of the episode is Jonathan Mayors talking about what's going to happen in the next Marvel movies. Yeah, basically you know, it's all set you know, up. <laughs> like, I like him. I like how he said that, but even that, I'm like, all exposition. I, I, I'm not that big on it. But yeah, yeah I like, understand that. And it's also like one of my favorite things of Marvel recently. Uh, it's on my top ten. That's nice. Marvel things. Well, we'll have to see if they impress you going forward with What If, Shang-Chi, The Eternals, Spider-Man, and Doctor Strange. I already told you, I'm, I don't, I'm not interested in anything but Doctor, Doctor Strange. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I understand. Um, yeah. But that is Loki, and this is the last live-action series for a bit. We got What If next, which might be a fun little show to poke around with. So we'll have to see where that goes, and... Obviously the movies, and then I'll see if anyone wants to talk about Shang-Chi, the Eternals, or Spider-Man. But um, The movies. Yeah, the movies. Um, but, yeah, this is a good podcast, Charles. Thank you for coming back as normal. Yeah, if I'm there's anything in the future you'd want to talk about, you know where to find me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, going forward, I guess to give you guys an itinerary, um, Dalton has reached out. The Bad Batch may get talked about. We're kind of in the talks for it right now. Um, I believe Dalton is officially going to do the Green Knight with me because he has asked since the movie was announced if he could do it. <laughs> oh no, um, that's been so long ago. I know. Um, and then the Suicide Squad, I have not really received anybody so far that has wanted I to talk it. about it. Yeah, if Charles <laughs> wants to, yeah, obviously. Um, I mean, I'll try to watch it the, the first day it comes out over here, so yeah. Yeah, um, Charles might be back for a Halloween podcast in yeah. late October also because the new Halloween comes out. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of movies that are starting to pick up and obviously make this podcast. Yeah, the movies are back and making this podcast somewhat come back to life, which is nice. So hopefully we can get back to peak 2019 Hayden's Entertainment Hour, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe we will. We'll have to see what the future holds, guys. Um, but anyways, thank you, Charles, for coming back. You got any final yeah. statements before we stop? Yeah, I want to meet my variants and make self-sessed like Loki. <laughs> self-sessed Charles. <laughs> There's your new username. But thank uh, you guys so much for listening to this edition of Hayden's Entertainment Hour. I shall see you next time.